0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, ideas and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we are talking about the German bomb, or maybe the European bomb. The background to this is a new and heated debate that has erupted around Germany, the place which is much better known for discussions about nuclear disarmament and nuclear free zones Um, shortly before the american election uh, there was an article in spiegel online calling for the idea of of a german uh, nuclear deterrent and after trump's election there'd been a number of other contributions the two most uh, visible ones were A statement by Roderich Kieserwetter, who's a member of parliament from the ruling uh, Christian Democratic Union and is also uh, a spokesperson for the CDU on foreign policy and a former chairman of the nuclear disarmament uh, group in the the parliament and even actually a former soldier who uh, called for Germany to take part in developing a European nuclear deterrent but an even more uh, bold proposal has been made by one of the editors publishers of the conservative uh, leaning Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung uh, Bertolt Kohler who uh, wrote an op-ed talking about the dangerous new uh, environment that is taking place and arguing that Germany should actually not just increase its defense spending and bring conscription back, but actually develop a a German nuclear deterrent. We will be talking to a very distinguished uh, panel to to help us make sense of this. First up is uh, Josef Janning, who is one of the co-directors of VCFR's office in Berlin, and a senior policy fellow at ECFR. We also have Jana Kubierin who is the head of the Alfred Oppenheimer Center for European Studies at the German Council on Foreign Relations. Not quite right. What was what's the exact title? Uh, the Alfred von
1: Oppenheimer Center for European Policy Studies. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you.
0: And returning to the podcast, another ECFR council member and uh, legend when it comes to describing European and, and, and foreign policy in France, Christine O'Krent. So, um, Jana, why don't you, because um, uh, you used to work for, for Mr. Kizeta, why don't you start by telling us about the contours of this debate which has erupted?
1: Well, um, there was a huge debate um, within NATO for a long time how to react um, uh, uh, with the um, Russia threat and the modernization uh, program um, going on in Russia. And a lot of uh, people in Germany, although not publicly, uh, debated whether NATO should um, prepare itself and revise the nuclear strategy. And now we have a completely new situation. Um, we have the Trump threat that Trump um, wants. Uh, or is not, or might not provide any longer the nuclear shield uh, that provided security for Europe. And with this threat ahead, people like Roderich Kiesewetter thought how to secure uh, Europe in the future. And yeah, then they thought about a European or a German nuclear option, nuclear shield to protect Europe, even in the absence of the United States.
0: Um, what's the, the reaction been from other sources? Do people, Is there been a, an outcry of support for this?
1: <laughs> well, I would I would say uh, quite the contrary. Um, this is, uh, Roderich Kiesewetter kind of broke an utter taboo uh, in Germany because, uh, as, you, as you said in your kind introduction, Germany is um, well known for being an advocate for non-proliferation, for global zero. And there were um, quite famous people like Wolfgang Ischinger already saying, this is a huge uh, mistake, the debate is going in the totally wrong direction, sending the wrong message to the US, the wrong message to, uh, to Russia and I think um, but, but Roderick Kiesewetter addressed the elephant in the room in my opinion I think we have to talk about this and um, at least address the, the, the problem ahead I mean uh, if Trump will, will um, end the nuclear uh, option for, for Europe or end nuclear sharing uh, within NATO or whatever then we have a problem So Josef
0: do you think we should get a German bomb or, or a European bomb?
2: I don't think we should get a German bomb, Um, not least because, you know, in the last formal uh, treaty that deals with Germany's uh, international policy, the 2 plus 4 treaty, ending kind of this post-war status of divided Germany, Germany reconfirmed again that it would never seek uh, possession or control of nuclear or other non-conventional weapons. But I think uh, there is good reason for the Europeans to reflect among themselves uh, whether they would not need a nuclear deterrent and whether they not actually already have one, yes. uh, which only doesn't, doesn't label as one, uh, which is in particular uh, the, the nuclear capabilities of the United Kingdom and France. And in particular uh, France, because France has uh, more times than Britain looked as, at its mutual assured destruction capacity as a sort of a European uh, instrument in the hands of France, something that belongs to the French um, uh, nation, but has its purpose in Europe. And I think this is actually uh, a very uh, wise and and solid statement, and that is something to be considered uh, as uh, a more clear uh, and, and explicit European asset, even though it will continue to be owned and uh, managed by France alone.
0: So I'd like to, to bring in Christine to talk about the, the French situation, but maybe before that, Joseph, you could tell us a bit more about how this Europeanization of the French deterrent would work. Is your idea simply that Germany writes out a fat check to, to Paris and London every year in order to, to, to buy shares in this deterrent? or I mean, how, how does this work?
3: Well, I don't think it works at all. Uh, I mean, it's just a scheme, uh, because after all, uh, both the British and the French nuclear uh, deterrence are very much linked to NATO. Uh, it took the French you know, many decades to actually uh, agree to the fact that their own nuclear deterrence on its own uh, was getting obsolete and wouldn't make sense in strategic terms. And it took, uh, you know, after the goal and all the grand um, discourse about French uh, nuclear independence, which is very, which runs very deep, by the way, in in how the French think of uh, their own country. But still, uh, I think the, uh, the the mere fact that the topic is being risen in Germany uh, has to do with. America first with Mr. Trump and it also has to do with Brexit because there's no way at all we as Europeans can actually strengthen our defence capacities, be they conventional or nuclear, without the Brits. And so we get back to that sort of British quagmire. But just one point which really surprised me, you know, trying to get a little bit more uh, ready for this uh, discussion. I looked up uh, on on some facts in French, French language. So I googled, like anybody else, and all I could find in French was actually Russian propaganda literature in French uh, discussing about, uh, you know, the sort Mm -hmm. of uh, German uh, nuclear bomb and even asserting that uh, the current uh, German president, Mr. Glauc, was actually... Supporting the idea, and so it's just a side comment, but it shows the extent of the uh, misinformation or the sort of post-fact world that we are getting into.
0: So, so Josef, you're the, the You seem to be more less sceptical about the idea than, than Jana did about the uh, was about the idea of, and then Christine was. I mean, how how do you see it working? The idea of, uh, of Europeanising the French and British nuclear deterrence?
2: First of all, I'm I'm not so skeptical because it is not without precedent. Within NATO we also have, in part driven even by Washington, we have the nuclear planning group and the idea to involve more NATO partners than those holding nuclear weapons uh, to get engaged on this. So to share the strategic rationality that comes with the possession of nuclear weapons with a wider group of allies, not with everyone, but with those whose uh, responsibility one would like to kind of shape. Secondly, in the Franco-German relationship, there have been at least two advances by the French president to reach out to the German side and say, look, can you imagine a form of contribution, also meaning a financial contribution, to the modernization of the force de Frappe? Because after all, that force de Frappe has a European dimension and it happened also in the context of the, of the redesigning of the French uh, nuclear force because as you know France used to have shorter range nuclear missiles which could only explode over Germany which was a major concern to the Germans and eventually France uh, dismantled these. And at the time, you know, it, uh, this was, in, in, in the French reasoning, it was a perfectly rational choice to ask the Germans whether they wanted to share a bit of the burden of this, uh, but also being involved in the political responsibility that comes with it. From the German side, uh, this was not um, well-received because it was politically too complicated uh, to engage on that. And but
3: expensive. And expensive, expensive, and expensive,
2: with no you know, immediate return. But the, the, the reason why the German debate gets back to it is because uh, we see, being closer to East Central Europe, we see all of the strategic dilemmas that open up with a situation where the American president taken a new view uh, on Article 5, and all of a sudden we find uh, that we have lost escalation dominance, which was very important in strategic terms. We have lost the ability to respond to any possible or foreseeable conventional military threat with an appropriate means. And if we don't have that, that was our uh, decades-old strategic uh, certainty, we would lose the credibility of the American nuclear umbrella. Because America would not want to be forced to disproportionately escalate a conflict by using nuclear weapons because we were lacking the conventional areas in between. So this is what brings up the debate, is the the recognition now that actually our defenses on our eastern flank are too weak uh, and the uh, previous schemes of providing uh, deterrence do not really work that way once exposed by the the view that the current or incoming American administration takes on the issue. So, Yana, you were desperate to come in while you were speaking.
1: <laughs> no, I just wanted to to explain that uh, this whole debate is just a minority debate, and it's totally disconnected from the german public because 90% of the germans out there they they um, support the idea of global zero they want to end nuclear sharing in germany Apparently and that was
0: 85% still against the deployment of american nuclear yeah, weapons yeah exactly and or... and it was
1: a consensus in the german bundestag all political parties agreed to go yeah. for global that zero and said, and there
0: yeah. was never a majority in favor of the euro or but it was, of even the coalition treaty was
1: in the old coalition treaty that we end nuclear sharing with the fdp fdp and the you yeah. that was agreed on uh, that uh, yeah Germany would would go for an, an ending nuclear sharing in Europe yeah.
0: yeah so you think it's a terrible idea no I don't me. I don't
1: think I, th- I think it's uh, I think Rorich Kiesewetter has a, a good strategic point here and I think we have to address this and the problem is that I mean but how,
0: but how do you want to address it if
1: I would I would I would prefer a, a NATO solution first and there I mean the British and the French uh, nukes are already part of uh, a European deterrence strategy it's in the Ottawa uh, declaration it's uh, was uh, reconfirmed at the Warsaw Summit so I would prefer a NATO option but if there is none I would agree with Josef here that we have to um, to create a, a European one
0: Wow, that's a big change isn't it? But it, it's quite surprising <laughs> even
3: from a soldier turned politician uh, that he would actually venture this idea in an election year hmm. because how, I mean in any of our countries I mean this is just unsustainable You first of all we, got, I mean, our politicians don't even dare talk about the need uh, to expand our defense budgets. You know, just to meet the requirements uh, of uh, the sort of uh, intra-European agreement. Uh, I mean, in the French uh, forthcoming elections. Yeah. I bet
0: no one will say. Jeremy Corbyn has been quite busy saying that he wouldn't use the British nuclear deterrent if he ever became prime minister. So maybe he, yes, he could as offer as it nobody to the believes, <laughs> As
3: nobody believes that he will ever become prime minister, it's quite irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: but maybe it's a new bargaining chip in the Brexit debate now. I mean, the... the, the Foreign power, uh, UK as a foreign power has, um, I think, a stronger position now so with the really Trump election. So you going offer
0: offer shares in the nuclear deterrent against um, freedom of movement.
3: <laughs> <laughs> You're right; that should be included in
0: the Brexit debate. But so, how do you how to, what happens is? Is this just something which dominated the headlines for a few days and will kind of disappear, or do you think this is something which is going to become a really serious debate? Because the fact that the German public is against it—I mean, joking aside doesn't necessarily mean very much the German public was against the euro and the euro happened the German public was against pushing missiles and pushing missiles happened the German public was against uh, many things which the German elite has, um, has, has had a consensus around and um, these things have a, a habit of, of happening if there is a kind of elite consensus but it sounds like from what you're saying there's that we're a long way even from an elite consensus at the moment.
1: It depends if you talk about a German nuclear option or a European nuclear yeah. option. I think a German nuclear option is completely off the table, also not only for the 2 plus 4 treaty, but also for the NPT treaty. I mean, we are a member of the NPT treaty. We are a very proud member, and I think we, 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 we won't blow up this treaty. So, um, but for a European nuclear option, I think we should debate this more um, also in NATO now. We should have done that a long um, time ago because, I mean, while we are talking here about uh, whether there is a European option or not, um, uh, Russia uh, has a modernization process going on, a nuclear uh, modernization, huge one, one, concerning strategic and uh, technical nukes. So um, we should do something about this.
2: I think one of the effects is that people actually discovered that something like a nuclear deterrence capability exists in Europe. I mean, people may be aware of that in France or Britain, but not so much the wider public outside of it. Other than that, I think it will quickly disappear, but what will stay is a focus on saying, assuming that relations go sour uh, on uh, our eastern neighborhood. They already do in the south. Uh, how well are we prepared to... Um, Signal to anyone out there um, not to consider attack in Europe or European countries in any way. And that's, I believe, where, the, where the, the, the real debate then starts unfolding because then we will discover that we're actually not very well prepared and that possibly also this rotation of combat uh, forces now through the Baltic states is more of a fair weather response than, than we would like it to be. Uh, and that we actually then have to reconsider territorial defense as a uh, significant uh, contingency for NATO and the EU uh, to deal with. And I think that's, that's the real significance of this debate. You know, the, the nuclear thing sort of is part of it and is something that, that pops up that debate and disappears, but the debate itself will then continue.
3: What is very interesting about the debate is no one ever mentions who the enemy is.
0: Well, they talked about Russia quite a lot.
3: So <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> Russia. Because, you know, who else? I mean, what else? Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. that's also an issue because... Actually,
0: um, I think Kula talked about China as well as another enemy. and um,
3: Well, that would be even more expensive in terms <laughs> of uh, yeah. weaponry, uh, I assume. But I, I think that raising that issue at a time again, and that gets us back to Mr. Trump, uh, where we're all wondering what the new uh, relations are going to be between Washington and, and the Kremlin. And where does Europe stand in that respect? I think that, again, gets us back to square one.
0: Can so I, I maybe ask the Germans one, one last kind of question before we round off the discussion, which is, it, it's a really strange thing because, in some ways, it's very uncomfortable new territory talking about German nuclear weapons. Um, but at the same time, the way you were taking it feels a bit more comfortable because uh, Germany has been having this kind of debate on multiple fronts. There was a sort of expeditionary Germany, you know, sending troops into Mali, getting more involved in Iraq and in Afghanistan. started and in like Kosovo, that. indeed. Um, And that was kind of quite shocking and kind of difficult um, for for Germany to do. Um, In some ways, going back to territorial defence is a return to the the comfort zone. That's one of the interesting things about about Bertolt Köhler's piece is that he was talking about reintroducing conscription, which was very much central to the post-war German idea of a, a kind of citizen's army and, you know, rather than the kind of professional army. Um, I mean, where does this go? It's very difficult to read exactly where your debate about foreign policy is is going. There's more activism, but some of it is returning to more traditional ideas of a kind of NATO that's about territorial defence and and uh, staying in inside the area rather than uh, the. There was a former German foreign minister who said that that our security started in in the Hindu Kush, wasn't there? Wasn't necessarily one of the more popular statements from German politicians, but. Uh, but maybe just a last word from from the two of you about, about where you think um, Germany is going as a kind of defence and security actor.
1: I think we have this new responsibility talk for a while now. We have seen some substance, um, but there are still some huge gaps to close. For example, um, when it comes to our capabilities, the German Bundeswehr, the equipment, and also our political will, Um, I don't think um, that we are uh, already a hot security provider um, and playing in the same league as the Brits or or the French. So uh, Germany has still to come a long way, and it's still totally not clear whether it wants to go that way. And um, I think foreign policy elites here they sometimes doubt it. They say maybe we will never arrive at this point and maybe we'll have a work share and burden sharing within Europe. But what this whole debate shows is how much the security circumstances have changed also for Germany and, and that we really are under attack and under a constant threat and we have no clue how to deal with this.
2: As we have in our podcast always these this suggested reading. You know, I would suggest uh, that we should actually read the new white paper. That Ursula von der Leyen has prepared. You will not have found a white paper that covers the idea of what is the German interest so extensively than this paper has. And it's quite a contrast to the previous or the previous two uh, versions. I think the German political elite, not so much the German public yet, but the German political elite is waking up to the fact that uh, territorial defense is something to care about for Europe and it plays out particularly uh, on the Eastern uh, Front of the European Union Um, and that Germany actually is the only large EU member state that takes a very strong interest in this. From the German perspective, neither the, the British nor the French have a very significant interest in territorial defense. To them, defense is force projection, is to defend your interests elsewhere which was relates to the Hindukush uh, uh, statement that Mark was quoting but you know now on the german strategic planners table is the issue how do we effectively organize territorial defense for the eastern flank of nato or the european union uh, with this great number of small and very small uh, member states with basically the Germans seeing themselves as the only ones really caring about getting an outcome, uh, you know, achieving something on this. Uh, I don't see that the uh, decision is, is made already, which way to take, but I think it, it, is, it stands in front of the policymakers that they have to do something. Okay. So, Josef, you slightly
0: preempted my last thing, which was to, to introduce a bookshelf segment. So, you, you're you busy reading yeah. the white paper, the right. German white paper. Um, what's on your bookshelf at the moment, Yana? What are you reading?
1: Um, well, actually, <laughs> I read a very old text. Um, I read The Security Dilemma um, uh, by John Hertz um, because um, I-, I personally like him a lot and because um, I think this is um, the question we are facing at the moment. If Um, Because if we think that um, American uh, security umbrella was key for European integration and peaceful Europe, what happens if this umbrella goes away?
0: What about you, Christine?
3: Well, I'm afraid I'm engulfed in French politics, so I'm reading Emmanuel Macron's uh, latest political book, which is supposed to be his political agenda. There isn't much of an agenda, but uh, there's a lot of energy and uh, some degree of optimism. Uh, and he talks about Europe, which is remarkable by any French politician's standard.
0: And what's it called? Uh,
3: en avant la réforme or something. Ou en marche la réforme, ou en marche. Let's go forward, that's what it says.
0: Okay, and I, what I'll recommend is some of these texts which have been uh, launching this debate. And in fact, before we did recorded the podcast, I had an email exchange with Bertolt Köhler, who had written the the, uh, the German bomb article in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. I hope he won't be offended if I quote it on air because it's so such a funny email but anyway he, he was very flattered that i was interested in talking to him but he said but my spoken english has become as rusty as a b-52 bomber and i'd definitely not like to ruin my new image as the reborn dr strangelove but for those of you who want to uh who want to read the original words we'll put them up on on the website um, if you've enjoyed this discussion please do uh, give us a review on iTunes and uh, a ranking because that's very helpful or on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, SoundCloud, MixCloud, Stitcher, whatever it was that brought you to us. Post about it on your Facebook page, write about it on ECFR's Facebook page, tweet about it and do send us uh, comments directly. Um, My email is mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. But for now, from Christine O'Krent, Josef Janning, Jana Plugerin, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Ulrike Franke, and uh, the producer is Wiebke Evering.